and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to this man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. And this is why the Jews are persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm just so thankful that we have your word right now. Jesus, thank you that we don't have to wonder what you're like and we don't have to take another person's word for it. Like we have your very word that your Holy Spirit spoke. This is God breathed. And as we look at your word and study your word and try and unpack it, like it's living and it's active and it does this thing in us where we believe you more and your spirit graciously helps lead us away from sin and we see Jesus to be more beautiful. And so I just ask that your, your spirit would come right now, that this would not be a wasted time, a dull time, but that it would be as if God himself were speaking to us because you are through your word. God, help me just to be faithful and just would you just increase our love for you and our faith and trust in you through this time. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, well, hear this. Jesus came to make you whole. There's a Hebrew word for it. Does anyone know it? Starts with an S. Shalom. Ever heard that word? It's the word uh, Hebrew for like peace, for wholeness. Not just like physically whole, not just like your stomach is whole, like, like your whole person, your soul, your mind, your strength to be at peace with God, to be at peace with one another, and to be at peace with yourself. That's why Jesus came, to make you whole. And there are times when we can like experience and sense like, man, I'm with Jesus and he's making me whole. If you were here last week, uh, we read a story where this man was like, Jesus, my son is dying. Will you please heal him? And Jesus like basically confronts this guy about his lack of faith at like a sensitive moment. And the guy's like, wait, but my son. And Jesus presses him. And it says that Jesus, he made his son physically well, but he also wanted to make that man whole. Like, what a shame if all he did was heal his son and let him, and like left him. Like, his son would have been physically whole, but he would not have been whole. And he became whole as he interacted with Jesus. And there are times when we meet with Jesus and we feel whole. And then, hear me, there are times 
when we actually miss that full wholeness, wellness, shalom that Jesus gives us. We may receive something from him. We may receive a blessing from him. We even may be at like a worship service at a bide, like, oh, Jesus is so good. And then like we leave unwhole. Do you know what we do sometimes? This is, this is important. We treat Jesus like a peace vending machine where we go to him, we get what we want, and then we leave him behind once we've gotten what we want, like, thank you, Jesus, I'm good, and then we leave. And I think we, we tend to even like think about maybe our quiet time or like time like this with the people of God, like Jesus is our big like whole vending machine. Jesus, I need you, thank you very much, and now I'm gone. And we wonder why we leave not feeling whole. We wonder why like Saturday or Monday or Tuesday in the middle of the day, like I don't feel whole. Well, it's because we like left Jesus behind. We just wanted some of his stuff. And tonight is a sad story actually about a man who is unwell, was not whole. And he remains unwhole and unwell even after an amazing encounter with Jesus. Like he meets with Jesus and Jesus does something radical for him. And then he leaves ultimately unwhole. And I think that we are are prone to do that. And so we're gonna like study this and look at this man and like what happened and how can we learn. And uh, just for context sake, for like big picture of the book of John, where we're at, uh, if you were here at the beginning, the very first chapter of John is like a prologue or prologue. I'm not sure how you say that, but like it like gets you ready for like the whole book, right? And one of the things the prologue says in John 1:11 is he came, talking about Jesus, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Now, up to this point in the book of John, people have been receiving him and it's been awesome. And he's like doing miracles and it's been awesome. And then chapter five starts and it's the beginning of the rejection of Jesus. It's the beginning of when people begin to start pushing against him, rejecting Jesus. Like chapter five is the turning point. And and the unbelief that we begin to see starts in chapter five, okay? So that's like big picture context. That's what John 1 got us ready for. And now we're gonna start again. I want us to look at verse two. And three, it says this. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Okay, this multitude is a picture of humanity. This picture of this multitude of people who are unwell. And the Bible says that picture right there is the condition of humanity because they have, we have lost the shalom that God gives us. We're physically broken, but then we're spiritually broken. Like, look, they were blind, but humanity is spiritually unable to see the beauty of Jesus. And they were lame, and we are spiritually unable to, like, walk to and with Jesus. And they were physically uh, paralyzed and humanity. This is a picture of humanity. Humanity, when we are born broken, we are spiritually paralyzed, unable to lift a finger 
unable to even lift a finger towards God. Like this is a picture right here of truly, a truly desperate situation. Like imagine practically if you're blind and lame and paralyzed, like what you, you can, you're desperate. You are fully dependent on someone else to care for you. And that's a picture of our desperate case before God, spiritually blind, lame, and paralyzed. And just to help us uh, feel what it's like to be truly desperate, uh, I just have to share a story I recently heard. It's probably the most desperate situation I've ever heard of. Like personally, like I know the people who know this, that that happened. Um, Our church partners with an organization called Wild Hope in Tanzania. So you guys know Deb, she was there for a year and they welcome these interns to stay for like a year or so and do all kinds of stuff. And one of the things you start doing on this internship is you have a homestay, like in like what would be a normal African Tanzanian home, right? So there is this girl who is interning there um, and, you know, she's just getting st- settled. She has like a whole year ahead of her. And she's like, okay, where's the bathroom? And they're like, oh, it's actually outside because they didn't have plumbing. And what the bathroom is, is just a hole in the ground with a piece of wood over it. And then they build like a nice little, you know, outhouse shack for you. And it's literally just a piece of wood with a hole in the middle. So, you know, you don't, you kind of, I think I've there like you can hide, hold the sides and, you know, like do your thing. So she goes to the bathroom. Uh, it's the morning time. And the wooden floor breaks and she falls into the pit and she falls about up to her armpits. Thank God she didn't go further. And she is in this pit and she obviously starts screaming and 10 minutes go by and 20 minutes go by and then five hours go by up to her armpits stuck in this pit. Listen, that is literally a true story. And the absolute, I can't imagine what would be more desperate than that. I honestly like, I don't know if I should say this, but I don't think I would have made five hours. I think I would have just drowned myself. Like hour one, I'm done. I can't handle it. And the family was gone and no one was there. And five hours later, they rescue her. And uh, this is the beginning of her homestay. And the next day she flew home. She was done. I'm literally, I can't do it. I'm out of here. Like honestly, probably sadly traumatized for life. Like deeply PTSD, I can't imagine. And I share that true story. Um, Deb verifies it. She's heard the story. Uh, it's outrageous. It was Deb actually. She experienced it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it wasn't Deb. I I share that because um, in all seriousness, humanity is in a desperate place. And we are honestly like stuck in a pit of our own like filth, like, you know, you know what I mean? And we need someone else to come and rescue us. And verse five helps us. I mean, just picture that emotionally what you're feeling and then read verse five. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years years. Like, just let that sink in for 38 years. He's just there and he cannot help himself. And, and some of us have personally experienced some form of being like desperate. And like this trial is just long and it's not going away. Like some of us have probably had that like, man, this is not getting better. Um, some of us have probably experienced like 
illnesses that like don't get better or people who we know and love whose illnesses are not getting better. I would imagine that some of us have experienced like legit seasons of depression that like we couldn't see there wasn't a light at the end of the tunnel. Like I'm just, I'm in this place and it seems like it's just gonna go on and on. I imagine some of us have had or are in seasons of sin where it just feels like this will never end. This is my lot in life. I will experience this forever. Um, I'm, I'm sure some of us, whatever the case, have experienced seasons of hopelessness. It sounds funny, but I had one that, uh, well, that season emotionally lasted about a year. I graduated college. Some of you, you know this about me. And um, I felt called to ministry and I was gonna go to seminary, which is grad school. And the Lord basically led me away from all that and kept me and my wife here. And uh, the only job that I could get after like months with my college degree was a job at Starbucks for real. Um, And I was like legitimately like depressed. Like my identity, I was wrecked. Uh, I felt called to ministry. And here I am like in the back washing dishes and I honestly hated it. And, And there's, it's like, it's so ridiculous when I look back, but I can remember moments where I was like, Lord, I can't believe this is my life. I feel called to serve you and to do all these things. And I'm like 23 and I'm like working at Starbucks and my boss and all of my supervisors are younger than me and they didn't go to college and like, why am I here? Um, And I didn't see like a light at the end of the tunnel. Like we probably have experienced some bit of this desperate hopelessness. And then I love what comes next. Look at verse six. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now notice two things. I love, first of all, notice the very beginning of that verse where it says, when Jesus saw him. I think that's so profound. Like Jesus sees. Like Jesus sees. When we're like, no one notices and no one cares. Like Jesus actually does. He sees you. Like Jesus sees you. And he knows what no one else knows. He knows your suffering. He sees and he knows. I love uh, in, in the beginning of Exodus where it talked about Israel was in slavery for 400 years and they were just groaning to the Lord. And it said their cries went to the Lord and it said, and God knew, like God knew. God knows your suffering. And then number two, notice this about this verse. This is a pretty obvious thing you would think Jesus does. He, what does he say to the guy? He says, do you want to be healed? Which sounds ridiculous, right? Like that's like going to the girl in the pit, like, hey, do you want to come out? Like, no, I'm just, this is what I do. Like, it sounds like, what, like what, is, what are you thinking, Jesus? But listen, it's actually not ridiculous. It's profound, okay? Because look at how the man responds. 38 years Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And look at the very next verse, verse seven. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Okay, this verse and what just happened is like packed with so much important goodness, okay? Um, I want us to look at this man as, as a picture of humanity, it's a picture of someone who is unwell. And there's gonna be at least in this verse and in a couple verses later, at least four characteristics alone in this verse and, and like three more later. And I want us to ask ourselves, be really honest, 
is there any of me in this man? Is, is there any bit of how I think and interact with Jesus? Is there any of me like when I look at this man? So, so mark number one of an unwell person is this. You, when someone is unwell, they don't look to Jesus. Okay, so he has Jesus standing in front of him. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And what does he call him? He's all, sir, excuse me, sir, uh, here's my problem. Listen, you have Jesus who created everything in front of you and he has no idea. He has no idea who this man is and how much this man can do for you. And when we are unwell, Jesus is just another guy. He's just sir. Is there any of you there? Like when you are suffering, you're like, yeah, Jesus, he's, he's just another person. Is there any of that? Do you ever just look right past Jesus? Yes, this suffering, but what can Jesus do for me? I'm gonna look right past him. In fact, I think there's hope somewhere else for me. Number two, a mark of someone who's unwell is we linger in our brokenness. We just kind of like linger in it. Okay, Jesus asked him the most obvious question in the universe. Do you want to be healed? And he doesn't say yes. Just let that hit you. Do you want to be well? And he doesn't say yes. He's just lingering in his brokenness. And, and do you ever do that? Like, yeah, Jesus, but I'm just going to kind of stay here in my mess. St. Augustine said, uh, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. And he said that as a joke to be like, that's like how we are, right? Like, yeah, Lord, I know you're good and I want to be right. And, you know, I want you to heal me just like not right now. Because like I just, for whatever reason, we linger in our mess and our brokenness. If you've read the, the story of Lot in, in, his, in his family in Genesis, it, they have these angels like, we're destroying your city. Like, like right now, you need to leave, the angels say. And it says, Lot lingered. Like what? He knows like God is gonna destroy his city and he just kind of is like, yeah, okay, guys, it's kind of time to go. And then his wife looks back. Is there any bit of that in you? Is there any bit of like, yeah, I kind of maybe want just a little bit of my unwellness. I don't really wanna be whole in this area. And like some of us, probably all of us have brokenness and sin and doubt and unwholeness. And like, tonight won't give it up to Jesus. We won't let him heal it. Do you want to be healed? And we don't say yes. The third thing about an unwell person is we make excuses. Okay, he, Jesus is like, do you want to be healed? And then he just says, yeah, but let me tell you about all these people who are ruining my life. Let me tell you, Jesus, do you want to be healed? Yeah, but everyone gets in the water before me and I can't get in and... You know, that's just my situation. Are they legitimate excuses? Maybe, maybe not. But notice he's just blaming others for his unwellness. Like he's a victim and I'm just gonna be a victim. Jesus comes to us, do you wanna be healed? And our response is like, can you believe they did that to me? Can you believe how they're treating me? And some of us have been wounded and treated unfair and like we've been sinned against. 
And yet we just remain there and hold on to that bitterness and that anger. And we're just brooding on how messed up everyone else is and all their selfishness and how it's ruining our life. And if only they didn't do this to me, I'd be better. And if only they didn't do this, I would be better. And if only she didn't take that, or if only he didn't say that, I would be better. And I can't get better because of them. Like, is there any of that in your heart? We're like, you hear this offer from Jesus, do you want to be well? And we say, Jesus, I can't because of them. Number four, we put our hope in something else for our healing. Uh, Jesus says, do you want to be well? And then the guy starts talking about a pool, right? And he's like, man, if I could only get in this pool and all of his hope and attention is on this pool. Now, some backgrounds needed for this pool. Um, Quick question, look at verse four in your Bible. How many of you have a verse four like in your text right there? I actually don't know. So, and then look, so it goes three and five and then probably there's a little like thing, right? And it says at the bottom, verse four. Is that everybody has that? Do you have, George, what's in your Bible at the bottom? Does it have verse four? Yeah, yeah, okay. Got it, okay. So some Bibles I think have verse four there. Uh, others have it in a footnote. And verse four in my translation at the bottom of my Bible says, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed and of whatever disease he had. Okay, so uh, we're gonna nerd out about something important real quick. This is important, hear me. There's this thing called textual criticism. And what that is, is uh, our Bibles were actually from old, really, really, really old manuscripts that were written in mostly Hebrew and Greek. And then, you know, faithful like monks, like just copied them down and wrote more scrolls. And so our Bibles are from original uh, manuscripts that have been copied, that have been copied throughout the years. Now, we don't have the original, which is just kind of crazy when you learn that, like, wait, what? This is what if someone just made this up. But what's cool is we have like thousands of copies. And Every once in a while, like some kid in Jerusalem, like finds in a cave, oh wait, look at these pots. And there's like 2000 year old scrolls. And guess what? They're like identical to the ones we have from like a thousand years later. So we have really, really reliable manuscripts. And then what really smart people do is they like fine tooth comb everything. And they're like, oh wait, that's, that's different than that. And there are a few places in the Bible where some of the later manuscripts had some stuff and then we would find an earlier manuscript and it wouldn't have verse four. And they're like, wait, what the heck? This doesn't have verse four. And then we find an even better one and it doesn't have verse four. And then we realized, you know what? Okay, some Bibles have this, some don't. So what we'll do is we'll just make a little note and say this probably wasn't in the original, which can kind of weird you out, right? You're like, wait, what is the whole Bible like this? And that's good to wonder. Um, only a very small handful of verses and passages in our Bible are disputed. And all of them are mentioned in your Bible. Like, hey, just so you know, maybe this probably wasn't in the original. Um, Pretty much the last chapter of Mark, like half of it is like, yeah, probably not in original, which is kind of nice because it was like, you'll handle snakes. And like, you're like, this is weird. Probably wasn't original. Um, Also John chapter eight, which we're gonna get to in a bit. Uh, This is a crazy one. The story of the woman and Jesus drawing in the sand. Pretty sure that wasn't originally like inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it down. And here's the thing, with stuff like that, 
we're like 99% sure it's true and it happened. And that's why people put it in, but it just didn't have the same like Holy Spirit authority to be the word of God. And so probably what happened is at this pool, there was this pool and it would bubble. And people were like, this tradition started, this superstition started. Hey, if you get in the pool first, when it bubbles, you'll be healed. And so there were a bunch of, you know, like invalid people, invalids, I don't know, cripples, hanging out at this pool, waiting for it to bubble. And that was a real thing. But then this probably tradition started where, do you know what? I think when it bubbles, it's because it's an angel. And if you get in, so it probably wasn't uh, really an angel stirring the pool. Could have been. We believe in angels. Angels can stir pools, sure. But probably it was a tradition that uh, developed at that time. And there's cool archaeology that said there were these uh, artesian wells that would like bubble, you know, like a hot springs. And so probably that was what happened. Like the pool just started to bubble and stir and everyone's tripping out. They're like, it's an angel. That's pretty reasonable. But now we're like, it probably wasn't that. Anyways, all that to say, verse four probably really happened. It's just not the holy word of God. I just want to take that side note just because you're smart enough and it's good to know sometimes. Um, Anyways, so this guy is at this pool and he's waiting and waiting for it to bubble. And then it would bubble and he's like getting in and someone else would jump in and he's like, man, I can't get well because everyone always jumps in front of me. And all of his hope was in this pool. Okay, just like take that in. All of his hope is in this bubbling pool. Like, that's sad, right? Like, all your hope, you just wait at this pool and you can't get in. And yet, listen, how many of us put our hope in something other than Jesus? Like, like I do that. It's not a pool, but it's something else. If only this would happen, if only this would get better, like, ah, oh, then I would be okay. And so Jesus himself comes to this man and says, do you want to be well? when Jesus comes to us and says, do you want to be well? I think often we're like, yeah, Jesus, but I'm just, I'm pursuing this relationship. And if this works out, like I'm good. Do you want to be well? We're like, ah, Jesus, like I'm, this substance actually kind of does a better job than you. Or maybe this adventure or this job or this degree, or like, honestly, hey, this Netflix show like does the trick. I'm okay, Jesus. Right now, the next 40 minutes, like my heart will be fine. This makes me happy. And, and we put our hope in these shallow things. Now listen, this is crazy. Even when your hope is in a supernatural, miraculous thing, like this man's was, listen, even if you put your hope in like, I'm gonna go to abide and I'm gonna experience something supernatural, if you miss Jesus, you will remain unwell. If you put your hope for healing or even in healing, and you miss Jesus, you will never find wholeness. And so Jesus shows us, he demonstrates this to us. Look at verse eight. This is crazy. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And he took up his bed and walked. Now, I just have to say something obvious. Jesus is better than this man's superstition. He didn't stir the pool he didn't like get block everyone out and let him go in the pool. He simply just said, get up. And the man was healed. 38 years gone in an instant, he's healed. And that's awesome. And it's almost like, okay, let's just end the story. Good job, Jesus. Let's move on. And like, let's just worship him because he's worthy because truly the greatest hope for healing is in Jesus. And the greatest hope for the unwell and desperate is in Jesus. And the only hope for the world is Jesus. 
And yet John, the writer of this book, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wants us to notice more to this story. And, and here's the, the last two things we need to notice from verses 10 to 17. He wants us to notice the response of another group of unwell people. And he wants us to notice that tragically this man remains unwell. Verse nine, uh, the second half of verse nine says, now that day was the Sabbath. And then verse 10. So the Jews said to this man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. So here we're introduced um, to a group of people who are unwell. They're not whole. They were uh, the Jews as refers to here. Often it's the Pharisees. And here's their solution to being made whole, dead religion. That's their solution. Do you want to be well? Follow our rules. And hear this. Jesus doesn't just free us from cheap superstition. He also heals us from dead religion. And that's part of like my story. I like lived and put my hope in my performance to obey the rules. And when I did a good job, I was like, man, I'm killing it. I like, I feel whole. And then when I didn't, like I was like depressed and I would just compare myself to other people and other Christians and how they're doing whatever spiritually. And I was just like wrecked. Many of us are like this group of unwhole people. Now, this group, for example, had 39 rules, 39 specific types of work that was forbidden on the Sabbath. Here's 39 things you can't do on the Sabbath. Uh, It's not in the Bible. It's not in the word of God. They made it up. And number 39 of their rules was you cannot carry one object from one place to the other on the Sabbath. You just can't do it. Sorry, you can't carry anything. I don't know if they thought about clothes, but you can't carry maybe in your hands. I don't know. And so they were like, hey, bro, you can't get healed today. You can't carry your bed. What are you doing? And how ridiculous is religion? How ridiculous when we see Jesus doing something radical, we're like, ah, you can't do that. That I'm not comfortable with that. That's not the way to be made whole. You gotta obey the rules. And, And how often do we experience this? When I'm doing a good job before God, I feel whole. And when I'm not doing a good job, I don't feel whole. And the more good things I do, the more God will bless me. And the more bad things I do, the more God's gonna curse me. That is religion and it will not make you whole. I love this. I'm not sure if this is true, but where it says the five colonnades, uh, Augustine, again, he's smart. So I just want you to know what he said. He said there were five colonnades because it was symbolic of the five books of Moses, first five books of the Bible. And he says, those five books can never bring true healing. You can't find healing in the law. You can't find wholeness in obeying all the rules. And then notice this man, how he remains unwell. And I wish we had more time to work through it, but, but notice this. Um, I'll say this. John, when he wrote this book at the beginning and the end, said, I'm writing this to you that you may believe in Jesus. Like that's why he's writing this book, that you would believe that Jesus is the son of God. That is the lens through which he writes the entire book. And the previous story, if you remember, When Jesus did all this stuff, it said this man believed. The man whose son died, it said he believed. And so every time John says he believed, he's like, look, see? And then he will show us people who do not believe. They may interact with Jesus. They may be healed by Jesus, but they do not believe. And look at verse 13, how crazy it is. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. Just let that 
sink in. He didn't even know who Jesus was. Thank you, Jesus. I'm out of here. He didn't even know his name. And then later, when he finds Jesus, or Jesus finds him in the temple, Jesus is like, hey, see how you're whole, don't sin. And then what he does is he runs to the Jews and is like, hey, just so you know, it was Jesus. And then he runs away. He doesn't like repent of his sin. He doesn't believe in Jesus. He's afraid of the religious people. And then he runs away. And that's the last we ever hear. He had come face to face with Jesus twice. He was physically healed. He was even confronted about sin. And yet he leaves Jesus unwhole, not believing. And guys, what a tragedy to come face to face, to be in the presence of God tonight, even feel better physically, but our souls leave unwell. To leave tonight without Jesus with us, belief in Jesus. Listen, what a shame for you to like have this experience tonight that's better than anything you've experienced and then leave without faith in Jesus. And we need to be honest, like tonight, like where am I unwell? Where am I lingering in my sickness and my sin and my brokenness? Where am I making excuses? Where am I blaming others? Where am I putting my hope in something else? Where am I putting my hope in just dead religion? And then I want you to take that and listen, I want you to hear the best news in the universe. Jesus loves those who are unwell. He loves those who turn to superstition and to religion. He loves you. Even right now in the middle of your brokenness. And here are these two verses from Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Listen, and with his wounds, we are healed. With the wounds, Jesus willingly took on the cross. He heals us. That is where we find healness in the person and the cross of Jesus. He loves you right now. And he says, come to me, bring me your unwellness. And in fact, he doesn't say even just come to me, like he goes to us. We're like this guy laying there, desperate. And he comes, he left heaven and he came for you. And even hearing the word of God, he's like coming to you right now. Like, hey, be made well, put your hope in me. I can heal you. I died for you, for your sin. There's no sin that's like too powerful for him. There's no wound someone's given you that's too strong for him. There is no other place you should go or look to than the blood that Jesus shed for you, that you would believe in him. You wouldn't just taste of him and be like, thanks, Jesus, I'm good. I'll see you Sunday. I'll see you next Friday. That like we would walk with him. That like we would hear this when Jesus says, hey, get up, take up your mat and walk with me. Let me walk with you. Let me fill you with my spirit and I'll go with you everywhere you go. And do you know what worship is? It's what it's like. What we're about to do 
It's like when Jesus comes to our pool and he's like, hey, I'm better. Let me heal you and let me be with you. And, and in fact, bring, give me that stuff. Give me your sin and your sadness and your sicknesses. Bring that to me. And listen, sometimes he even doesn't physically help what we would prefer him to do in the moment, but he does promise, I will make your soul well and I will be with you and I will make all things new. And until then, I will be with you. Like that is actually better. That's actually better than him just dispensing whatever you want at the moment. What the goal tonight is, is that we would believe that he's enough. We would believe in his blood that no matter how we feel in this moment, he can make us well and whole, truly whole. And so those things that are getting in the way, our sin or our depression or our hopelessness, tonight, like, let's let him confront those things. Let's give them to him. Let's, let's pray for one another. Let's confess those things. Let's ask one another for prayer. But here's the goal. Let's just come and be with Jesus. And let's even be willing to say, Jesus, whatever you want, please heal me. But I just want you more than anything. I want your blood more than anything because it's by your blood that was shed that I am made whole and well. So I'm gonna pray for us and then let's worship him with everything we have and then let's leave with him as well. Let's like leave covered in the blood of Jesus. And listen, if you need help with that, if like, I don't get that, like, please come talk to me. Come talk to someone who walks with Jesus. Like let's, I want us to have the best experience in his presence right now, but then I just, I don't want us to be like this man. We're like, that was so good, and then we're, we're gone. Like, let, let's pray together that we would leave with him tonight. So Jesus, thank you that it is by your love and your blood that you shed for us that we are whole. And it would even be better for us to, man, it would be worse for us to experience some goodness right now and leave without you. And so Jesus, I just pray, I pray that we would experience your presence and your goodness and that we would also grow in our faith and our belief that you are good and that you are with us and that you are enough and you are able to heal. Jesus, help us deal with our unwellness. Would we not linger in it tonight? Would we confess it? Spirit, come, break down whatever walls, whatever we're hiding in love. Just say, no, get, let's get rid of that. Come walk with me. Would we trust you more, Jesus? Would we see you, Jesus, to be more beautiful and more glorious than anything else? Thank you that all of our suffering will be light and momentary when we see you face to face. Jesus, we look forward to that day. Thank you now we are filled with your presence, with your spirit in us. Make us new, Jesus. Make our souls new. Give us shalom, your peace tonight. It would be so good that we would like not want to leave you, Jesus. We'd want to like get up and like walk with you and, and, and have you next to us as we go home, as we go to school, as we go to our jobs. Just we want to just be near to you, Jesus, all of our days till we see you. So come now, have your way in us.